The following recording is a reminder to social distance. Please stay six feet away from everyone that you care about, even if they're a stranger. Because if you're five feet and 11 inches from someone, they're probably going to die. And so will you. Hey, it's Coach O. Uh, tune in to that old Sports Antelope Reloaded remix. Uh, we coming with that, baby. We got a new show coming along. It's going to be great. You know, uh, I, I was feeling kind of bad, but I'm uh, doing a lot better, baby. My voice is actually starting to get, get, a little, get a little froggy on me because I've been talking to a bunch of people. I've been having a lot of well wishes and all. I was under the weather for a little while, but, uh, you know, sometimes it's, it's hard, for, hard to tell if the coach ain't feeling good because I always, they say I always sound kind of uh, a, little, a little gruff. But, uh, you know, my mama made that, she made a good gumbo, baby, that uh, chicken on duty gumbo for the soul. Got me, got me feeling good. Um, you know, that, that, that crunk penicillin that, you know, basically that, that good gumbo cure anything. And, uh, you know, I, um, that boy Kanye West, he, he absolutely crazy. Uh, he, that, that boy discombobulated in the head or something. I'm, I'm glad old Danny Bounce is watching TV news, you know, instead of watching them crazy, uh, Alex Jones or whatever he be watching CNN now. And, uh, you know, we're going to be playing that football. I mean, it may be flag football, but we coming, baby, because I'm Coach O, bitch. And go Tigers. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to the Sports Antidote, The Reset, episode number six. Get woke, go broke. Just ask the University of Missouri. We'll be talking a lot about that, and that is the actual title. CNN is superior to Fox News in what they're trying to do, trust me. Uh, I just spent the whole three hours watching their three, four, five hole hitter. We'll be talking about that because it is hilarious. Betting the NFL preseason is a real thing. Trust me. The drunk neighbor comes on. Major League Baseball futures. MLB taking a knee, and then once again, cucking. And an Astros update as well. I'll be giving my futures there as well. Some good old gambling picks. Tommy Bench comes on to talk about the NFL decals on helmets. And they better be careful because they changed their nonprofit status, apparently. Pediatric COVID statistics that will disprove a lot of things you've been hearing. Straight from uh, straight from the horse's mouth to CDC, right? They can't be wrong. Dickie Saab on the Drunk Neighbor will end the show talking about the UFC card. Uh, this weekend, I uh, keep saying the MMA card. I got to get better at that. It's it's all MMA, I believe. It, UFC is the difference between uh, the other one. Forgot what that's called, but no one really watches it anyway. The other one, what is it? Bellator, I believe. Yes, everybody watches the UFC. Even I do, and I don't even really like it. I have a chance to go to the drunk neighbor's house, get away from Mrs. Belts, who sometimes hits me with a belt uh, in the face, and I don't blame her. It's justified. I'm not going to call the police. Well, wait, we don't have cops anyway, so defund them. It's over. Uh, the interesting thing about the University of Missouri, before we get into that, is I'm going to talk about the company's, uh, a company's operating expense and how that actually compares to Missouri losing major alumni. And I know one of them. And boy, was he a big hitter. Uh, emphasis on was he, as in the past tense, as he is no longer giving money to that university, and they are going to feel that forever. Um, and you remember that scumbag forever. <clears throat> Whenever I do an Alex Jones, I always get choked up. COVID. Uh, COVID, yes. 
I got the COVID. Psych. So let's talk first about this CNN lineup. So as you know, Fox News will have Tucker Carlson, who's, for the most part, I find him to be pretty objective. He will criticize the president at times, um, which you will never see on CNN, ever. Definitely not. Obama could have farted on stage in front of the Queen of England, and they would have called it, ooh, an elegant passing of gas. Uh, let's just be honest. CNN is, is insane. Uh, but they're way better than Fox, and I found that out firsthand. We'll talk about this right now. And then after Tucker, you have Sean Hannity, who constantly panders to the president, no matter who it is. The president can do no wrong. No Republican president can. Hannity's just gotten lazy. He was good 15 years ago. I read a couple of his books. But now he's just got his following, and basically he's, you know, if you're 45 to 70, Christian, Catholic, conservative, Sean Hannity is sitting up there somewhere next to the Virgin Mary for you, but he just bores me. And then Laura Ingram uh, is in the five hole there, or if you want to call it cleanup, uh, and she does a pretty good job. I, I like her. I find her to be a mix between the two, Tucker and, and Hannity, but they do well, and Tucker has the most watched show on cable television. Well, CNN, I sat down for three hours at a bar in Montgomery nearly, and watched there, as we'll say it, the 2-3-4. I was calling it 3-4-5. Let's call it the 2-3-4 of the batting lineup. So you got Cooper, Anderson Cooper in the two-hole here. And then you got Cuomo in the three-hole and batting cleanup, my man Don Lemon. Well, I watched these three in a row, and I have to say I was amazingly – it was so wildly entertaining. I mean it's the most subjective shit you've ever heard in your life. I mean let's not – don't be mistaken. It is absolutely, when I say hilarious, I mean, I was laughing out loud. This one guy goes, yo, what are you laughing at? I was like, you don't think this shit's funny? And he left. Danny Belts won, him zero. I win. By default. Actually, not by default, as I sip my soda, as I'm sure somebody spit in. I just won. And the bartender rolled his eyes and I said, just bring that belt. Keep him coming. So, Anderson Cooper... He kind of gets the rebel rousing started, and he really gets it going. He comes on, and he really social justice warriors this whole thing up. He's like the kindling to the bonfire, um, and he gets it going organically. I really got to give it to him, and he gets guests on there, and Trump's a homophobe and all this, and, and then he really ratchets up the intensity, and then five minutes before he comes on, he splits the screen with Como, and then they go back and forth, and man, he really gets Como going, and then by the time Como comes on, he's already in fifth gear. He's not in, he's not in third gear. He's he's gone and he just gets on there and just starts hammering away and he's pretty talented i gotta give it to him he doesn't change character he stays in character i mean staring contest me him he wins immediately he stares with that angry scolded face and he, he likes to he likes to say accountable accountable i counted 52 times in the first half hour i don't know i lost count after that but it's awesome because it works and if you're watching cnn this is exactly what you want to see Right? You just want to see Trump bashing and COVID stats and everyone's dying. Doom and gloom. We've got to get Biden in there to fix everything. Of course. And I got to give it to him. It's just so entertaining. It is unbelievable. And then he really gets it going. And then he splits the screen with Don Lemon. And this is when the, I'm going to start a new segment. We have a new segment coming up today called White Bitch of the Week. We're going to be beta testing this one. Don't worry about the term beta. There's no beta about this show. It's just a test. A pilot, if you will. When he splits the screen... With Don Lemon and Cuomo. We need to have our own bit called the baton passing. I got to figure out a name. But when Cuomo gets on the split screen with him and passes the baton to Don Lemon, it is the best five minutes of television you have ever heard, period. Even if you love the president or hate the president, this is a much, this is must watch. I mean, they just literally, it's like a rebel rousing fifth grade 
yell, yell match about how he's a terrorist. I mean, I found that out too. Trump's a terrorist, of course, yes. But it is incredible. And by the time Don Lemon gets running, he's not in fifth gear. He's in eighth gear. And then he brings on Malcolm X Jenkins, who I will never go to a Saints game as long as he wears a jersey. He may never go to a Saints game again. Malcolm X Jenkins, the un- un- unapologized anti-Semite. Uh, yes, still, to right now, hates the Jews. He must. <laughs> no big deal. wonder who he's voting for, by the way. And I just listened to it until I had to stop toward the end of the show. I just couldn't take much more Malcolm X Jenkins. It was getting pretty, pretty, pretty tough for me to watch this guy and think that he wears the jersey. He bears the emblem that I've laughed and cried over over the years. And it just makes me sick. But with that, that aside, CNN, good props to you. That, you guys do a really damn good job of entertaining Way better than Fox News. <clears throat> Fox isn't even close. They're two, three, four. Can't hold a candle to what they're trying to do as far as they're just subject, subjectivity down your throat. <laughs> I mean, if you're listening to that and you're an adult and you believe what they're saying as far as believing this is news, <laughs> well, you're an idiot. But it is entertaining. <clears throat> Betting the NFL preseasons. I heard one person say, you bet the NFL preseason? Eh. Yeah. Uh, actually, there's a reason why. The reason I'm bringing this up, excuse me one second, I have COVID. <clears throat> I'm sorry, guys. My allergies are absolutely going insane. That is throat clearing, not coughing or sneezing. Nonetheless, COVID, um, probably going to die like everyone else that has COVID or not. So betting the NFL preseason, the only thing you need to know about this is if you walk into Bellagio and you try to put... 250,000 on the Jets as a pick'em down in Jacksonville, week one preseason. They're going to say, why don't we drop a zero on that? Because the limit is 25,000 on a preseason game. Now, why would Vegas do that? I know everyone's like, well, you know, the best time to bet the NFL preseason is week three. No, wrong. That's the worst time because it's more simulated to a normal game. See, the thing is they can't line these games. Week one, three, and four are impossible to line. And there actually are players that actually will mail it in in preseason and players that really won't. And there are information leaks that happen in these preseason games. Everybody swears information is valuable, and it is. But it's not more valuable than in the actual preseason. No one knows. Injury reports are so doctored up. They're so churched up. I mean, you may as well have Wolf Blitzer write, write that report. Um, sure. And it's just it, there's no way to know. There's so many unknowns, and there are so many, I guess, just – I don't know what's another word for unknowns – but all you have to know is there's a reason why Vegas will let you bet that 250000 week one and not week four in preseason, which means that they are scared and they, are, they know they could potentially be on the hook. They're open. They're viable to get hit. And it happens all the time in preseason. I bet three preseason games last year to this guy that got kicked off Twitter. And I went two for three, uh, two, oh, and whatever. I won, is it two, oh, and one? One, two, tied one, didn't lose. Both were blowouts, and the tie was pretty lucky if you had the other way. So he knows what he was talking about, um, as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, betting the NFL preseason, a lot of the Sharps do it, and there's a reason why Vegas limits uh, their ability, because any type of information that may get out about a preseason, things that happen, is way more valuable than any information that happens during the regular season, and that's just apparent because of betting limits. You know, Floyd Mayweather walks in there and wants to put $2 million on the Raiders, they're going to take his money, but they're not on week two when Seattle plays the Bucks in a meaningless preseason game, and there's limits. So that's all you need to know there. Um, yeah. White bitch of the week. So I have to say, uh, this segment, oh, let's get the intro. 
White bitch of the week is going to be a recurring theme, and 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 if it is great, if not, okay. But Steve Kerr is going to win this award a lot. He's probably going to win it nearly every other week if somebody puts a microphone in front of his face, and he is aging. He makes me feel really hot because he is an ugly ass dude right now. But he's way uglier inside than he is out. Another guy that unapologetically takes China's back, communist China. No child labor laws, no animal cruelty laws, no laws in general. Kids losing limbs in factories, just arresting people, killing people. Capital punishment for no reason, taking over other countries. Taiwan, you're next. Steve Kerr doesn't give a shit. But he's super woke, though. But he's not going broke. No. No, he's making tons of money off this, but that's it's fine, Steve. That's fine. But you are white bitch of the week. So somebody did get a microphone in front of his face. I heard it on the radio. <laughs> uh, Clay Travis was talking about it, but I can't find it on YouTube. Someone actually challenged Steve Kerr. Oh, imagine that. Someone challenged him and asked him a mid-interview about China. And he said, I don't want to talk about China. Oh, that's great, Steve. That's great. Don't apologize for taking the back of the communist regime. Just say you don't want to talk about it. But at least that's better than what LeBron James said, because he still hasn't said anything. Nor has Michael Bennett, who everyone is praising right now, praising this man, praising him as NFL Man of the Year. Another thing we need to know about the NFL, after Michael Bennett unabashedly lies to to the news. I'm sorry, this is going to be, my allergies are actually killing me now. Wildly unprofessional. But then again, if you listen to the intro of this show, (laughs) it's not exactly... uh, the Tonight Show. I'm going to have to get some water here. I do apologize. But Bennett, after lying to the LVPD, as you all remember, saying that he was accosted, racially profiled, an absolute, absolute manufactured lie. Okay, 100%. When the video came out, he couldn't have lied anymore. He made up the whole thing. And ESPN, Mina Kimes is interviewing him that Monday morning. Oh, she loves that. She was touching her vajayjay while this was happening because it was such a woke interview. Oh, great. And everybody watched, yeah. And then nobody, you know, again, no apology. We find out it's 100% fake. No apology from Michael Bennett. No apology from Mina Kimes. No apology from ESPN. We've talked about this before. Dan Rather lost his job when he ran a false report about George W. Bush's military records. And he was, ju- and, and, and he was one of the best of all times. He's one of the goats as far as an actual reporter. Now, toward the end of his career, he started to get a little woke. That's all right. Still a very talented man. But he lost his job. But Mina Kimes didn't. Michael Bennett hasn't apologized, nor is she ESPN. It's just business as usual. It's business as usual. And it's disgusting. I mean, who's going to hold someone's feet to the fire at some point? I, I have no idea. But apparently ESPN's not, and no one will do that to ESPN, and no one will do it to Mina Kimes. She's super woke. And apparently Michael Bennett, he's above that as well. You clearly see the insanity of this whole thing. Man of the year, the NFL man of the year. That's how, he got he won that in 2018. After all this happened, he's the man of the year. Oh, yeah, okay. He's the cuck of the year, okay? And Steve Kerr, you are the white bitch of the week. And you will be recovered. I can't wait. Can someone just interview Steve Kerr every day and actually throw him a decent fastball? You can even tell him it's coming. But just let him know. Here it comes, Steve. It's like 90 and puff. Can you hit it? Cuck. Give me some chum University of Missouri. Very interesting. We're going to get into that. But before we do that, I have to tell you a story about a friend of mine, a very successful businessman that was an alumni of Missouri, proud alumni. It really got no prouder. Uh, he was a customer of mine, extremely, wildly successful. 
five children, and four of them went to Missouri, had already graduated, and one was about to go before 2015. We'll get into that in one second. I remember hanging out with this guy at his country club. He had asked me, he goes, where are you staying tonight? I told him, he goes, dude, that's a mile from my country club. You want to come out and have drinks? Yeah, sure. I pick you up up at eight. I'm like, all right. So I go to his country club. I was drinking Johnny Walker. Wasn't exactly drinking Bush Light like I normally do. Oh, God. (laughs) Can't get away from it. If you clear my throat this whole episode, I just got to stop apologizing. But he introduced me to all his friends and all this. And this is here in Louisiana. And he got pretty drunk and told me that, you know, he has five season tickets. He goes to every Missouri home game. He flies out there every weekend. He brings his wife and a customer or his sons or whomever. He told me they're 500 bucks a piece. That's 2,500 a week right there, uh, right there in the 50 yard line. And then he says, and I, you know, I, I've met coach several times. I've met this, that, and the other as a picture. He, he goes, I met Michael Sam and he kind of laughs. But he, he said that uh, he gives 25, he gives a quarter of a million dollars to the athletic program every year. I almost fell out of my seat. He goes, that's nothing. There's like a thousand people that give more than that. I'm friends with some of them. I'm like 250000 he gives to be a premium alumni. That's a lot of money. In 2015, if you remember Mike Brown, uh, the, not the victim, but uh, I don't want to get too political here. But this is uh, this really Trayvon Martin kind of got this thing going with the George Zimmerman fiasco. But the Mike Brown thing was the literal gasoline on the fire. Because you remember Mike Brown, high and drunk, tried to take a pistol out of a police officer's, uh, tried to unsheath the gun, take it away from him. He probably was going to kill him. This started the hands up movement. He did not have his hands up when that happened. Once again, uh, some eyewitnesses, the ones that actually reported what happened, um, of course, the cop was acquitted. I'm not saying he should have shot him, but I'm just saying if you want to get shot, try to take a gun or a taser from a police officer. Just just do it. And it doesn't matter if you're black. If I try to take a gun from another cop and I'm trying to pull it out and he gets it out there and I'm charging him, he's going to put one in me or his partner will. That was free. But this is when that all it, it just threw the, the, the just napalm on this whole movement. And in Missouri just got super woke. And so did... So did the University of Missouri. Black Lives Matter took over the campus and it caught steam real quick. You all remember. And the dean was given a list of demands, if you remember that, from Black Lives Matter and the students. Some of the demands were uh, safe space. You know what safe space is? Uh, They wanted diversity. You know what diversity means? Let's just, let's just, let's let's do what we do. Let's call balls and strikes. Diversity means less white men. You know what safe space means? No white men or women. That's not racist. No, it's totally acceptable. Yeah, safe space. <laughs> That's great. Oh, but you know, what about segregation? I wasn't alive during that time. I can't apologize for anything I didn't do. I wouldn't even apologize for something my dad did because I'm not him. I don't apologize for anybody but me. And, and you should feel the same way. Don't, don't apologize for shit you did not do. Now, that doesn't mean we don't want to forget it or think that it's not awful or wrong. But I'm not, I take apologies very seriously. I rarely apologize because I'm really sorry for what I do. And when I am, I think about what I'm going to say and I genuinely apologize. I've done this to the drunk neighbor twice. I'm making an ass of myself once at a bar with his friends and once at his house in front of his girlfriend. And I meant it. I did it with Tommy Bench once for making an absolute ass of myself, hammered drunk in front of his family and mine. And I meant it. Apology accepted. 
but I haven't apologized for a thousand other stupid things I've done because I'm not sorry. That was also free. My point here is that the dean, he gets cucked. He gives in to all of these, all of these demands. He gives the students all they want. It's insane. Well, here's how this went. Get woke, go broke. Now let's go back to the alumni story. The minute that that happened, this gentleman stopped donating $250,000 to the program. His daughter did not go to Missouri. She went to Southwest Missouri State instead. So they got that tuition money. And he'll be donating to their baseball program now, which he got into. And if you don't remember, Southwest Missouri State's actually pretty good in baseball. You'll see them in the regionals. Every now and again, they, they find themselves in a super regional. I think they made it to Omaha. They were close one year. Anyway, they'll not be getting that money. The average donor in the SEC, the average donor, Southeastern Conference, the average is $500 a year. Because most people give none, some give a ton, and it's tough, but I did some digging and found that it's right in there around 500 which means to replace this 250000 which you might think, oh, it's just 250000 It's a university to have all this money. That means you need 500 new donors. Don't think of the amount of money. Think of the amount of donors it's going to take to replace the money this guy gives the university on a regular, forecastable basis. That is a forecastable quarter of a million dollars that you know is coming in. First of the month of the year or whenever. Here it comes. We're getting such and such's check. And you can budget for that. Now you can't. And he's not the only one that did this to Missouri by giving in to BLM and getting cucked. We'll get into attendance shortly. I'm in a presentation not too long ago and I'd seen my manager pull this stunt a couple times. So I decided I was going to use it. So I'm talking to this guy and... He says, so you can only save me 1200 a year. Why would I care about 1200 a year? Well, I say, well, what's your operating expense? Usually in this industry, it's 2.2%. Is that, is that about right? He goes, it's about right. I go, so you're always 2.2. Okay. Well, if I save you a dollar, then am I actually saving you $45? The answer is yes. And I kind of look at him and he goes, mm, you could say that. I'm like, well, I am saying it because it's true. If I save you $1, then that, in turn, will save you $45. And he basically is like, go on. For every $1 in additional expense, right, you must multiply that dollars in additional revenue to produce $1 of earnings. It's a pretty simple equation. I watched my manager do this a year ago, and it was, it was astounding how much this resonated to a guy that understands the money uh, where the money comes in a, in a dealership is behind the scenes, fixed operations. And this guy, he understood that. So I said, so if I can save you 1200 a month, it, multiply that by 45, it's actually 54000 And then his, his glasses kind of went down like Chuck Schumer does, you know. And I'm like, you have five locations. So if you multiply that by five, that's $270,000 a year. I said, how much do an oil change? What do you charge for oil change? He says $36 on average. So I take out my little, my little phone, little calculator, do a little math, 30, you know, just divide that into 270,000, and it's 7.5,000. 7,500 oil changes is what I told them. You'd have to do 7,500 oil changes in addition, not what you're doing now, in addition to make up for the $275,000 you lost, all because of $1 
equaling 45. Well, the meeting ended well for me. But just think of that as Missouri. They're going to have to replace 500 nearly donors. I bet you it's probably more like 5,000 when you equate all the other non-woke alum who I guarantee you are not into this Billy Jack bullshit. I can tell you that right now. You don't believe me? Okay. 2015, Missouri. Freshman enrollment, 6,191. Not bad. That's right around everybody got woke. And once again, when you get woke, you go broke. Missouri's freshman class, 2016, 4,799. You can check this on enrollment.missouri.edu. Don't even try to cuck me here. Ain't happening. Belts, you're saying cuck. You know, I'm feeling the Holy Spirit. Leave me alone. That is 1,398 less freshmen than the year before. 1,398. It's tough to say what the average tuition is in-state and out-of-state. I, I mean, I know what they are. And you can't just divide the two because there's more in-state than out-of-state. So I came up with $13,000 as the average yearly tuition. And that's probably generous. Thirteen grand. Take thirteen grand and multiply that by 1,398 and you get $18.1 million. So now you're missing out on that. Get woke, go broke. $18.1 million. You don't think that state school feels that? You don't think they feel that? Shit. 2017, the Columbia Tribune, where the university is, if you don't believe me, and the New York Times had an article on that, which you can say, you can read, 23% down from 2015, 4,134. 23%. By 2018, They had lost 38.5% of the freshmen, says the New York Times, from 2015. And then, magically, the enrollment goes to 4,673, 2018, 2019. That's great. Wow, look, they're coming back. And all these articles come out about how they're they're coming back and all this. But the thing is, is that they're not. They're not. Because most parents still remember that. And the big drop of 15 to 16 is like the alumni, my, my buddy's daughter who didn't go there. He ain't sending their kids there. Unless they, if imagine that if you're cutting a check for your kid to go to school, you're like you ain't going there, and they're like yes I am, then go go holler at Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, see what happens when uh when you you you'll be paying college loans until you're 56. My wife's been paying college loans for nursing school, and she just started tapping into some of the principal. She graduated from nursing school in 2008. Good luck. So you see what I'm saying here. So they had a spike in 2008, 2019, and a little in 2020. Okay, well, you know what a lot of that is? (laughs) I hate to tell you. Uh, A lot of the stuff written in those bylaws was in the years to come, every year more and more scholarships available to African Americans. Am I opposed to that? Absolutely not. I think that's great. But the thing is, is that they're giving away three times more scholarships now. Now they're taking it even harder in the ass. Are these kids, white or black, going to donate to you down the road? It doesn't really seem that these woke kids are the kind that would do that. I don't know. Most of them are white anyway. Bunch of white little snowflake bitches. Who I'd like to fight nearly all of them. I would beat 99% of these kids in a bare knuckle boxing match. But there's the one outlier that might catch me. But otherwise, Danny Belts is taking the left and bringing you, driving you to the dentist. Because you're going to need some help. You need some work. And I have a guy that can help you. I think you guys get what I'm saying. This is ridiculous. This is a clear example of an operating expense in a business 
whether it be 2.2, the OE could be, if, you're, if your operating expense is 5%, then every dollar I save you, I'm saving you $20. Well, in this case, when you lose a guy like that, you're going to need an army of alumni to replace him. And how can you replace that, which is not replaceable? So clearly, you can clearly see here, Missouri, although they're, they're, they're faking it, they're saying, oh, everything's fine. Yeah, everything's not fine. This is much like the Hillary Clinton campaign. There is smoke and there is fireworks behind the scenes. And I just read that book, Shattered. We'll be talking about that one again. You know, Podesta, Mook, the worst campaign ever ran was Hillary Clinton's by far. And that book was written by two liberals from Politico. It wasn't written by two Trump supporters. Trust me. It's about the size of the Bible. I read it in three days and I, I comprehend extremely slow. Great book. Shattered. Google it. Anyhow, you guys get what I'm saying. The OE comparison to that university is startling. An original point. No one's ever done. No one's ever spoke like that. Before they, this is the first time you've ever heard that. And that's what you get on the sports antidote. The reset. You get originality. You get characters. The drunk neighbor. You get Coach O. You get Dickie Sabo. You get Ned Ryerson. Tommy Bench. Every now and then Shane O'Mac. Maybe even Steve McJeezy. I don't know. Bed Bath & Beyond. They don't know if you have time. Chuck Knobloch. Kevin Dombrowski. I got some aces in the hole coming up, Chief. Wait till my boy Daryl Strawberry may come on this mug in August. Yo, Chuck, let's get that going. You owe me. I owe you nothing. Anyway, you guys get what I'm saying. Um, Missouri and the Dean, he, uh, they got cucked. And speaking of getting cucked, do you need a plumber? We all know when you need a good plumber, it's like going to the dentist. No one gets excited. Well, you should be excited if you need plumbing because you can call my boy Brooke North at Magnolia Plumbing, LLC. Licensed, bonded, insured, 225-218-6037, 225-218-6037. You don't have to worry about him, you know, overcharging you, ripping you off. He services the greater Baton Rouge area. Every now and then I'll come out to, um, you know, maybe the New Orleans area, but he primarily stays in the greater Baton Rouge area. 225-281-6037. Look, we all know that when you have the plumber at the house or the painter and you're away, there's a possibility that that gentleman could be trying to cuck you. And depending on your relationship with your wife, it could happen. I'm just saying, it happens all the time. I wouldn't know, but I'm just saying, I know it does. We wouldn't be talking about it if it didn't. You don't have to worry about that. Family man, great business, great reviews, five-star reviews across the board. If you want a, you want a fair plumber, you call Brook North, Magnolia Plumbing, 225-218-6037. And most importantly, you do not have to worry about getting cucked. I can't emphasize that enough. You need to stop saying that, Belts. I'm not. My show. Plenty of podcasts out there. <laughs> oh, enough of me. Let's bring on the real talent. Let's bring on my homeboy, my co-host, The Drunk Neighbor. The Drunk Neighbor joins the show. What's up, man? How you doing? Good, good. Good to be coming to you remotely like kids at school this year. Oh, dude, good thing you don't have kids. I have a lot of friends that have kids that Maybe reevaluating the way they vote these days. If uh, these kids aren't going to go to school till 2029, uh, at this point, um, so yeah, definitely not. Uh, <laughs> let's not go down that road. <laughs> yeah, I'll let I'll let uh, Tommy Bench handle that. There you go. Baseball's coming up here. I I, I did not think it was possible a couple weeks ago, and, and now it is. It starts tomorrow. The Nationals. Uh, wait, who's playing tomorrow? The Nats. Nats versus Yankees. You would think that they would have the two teams that played in the World Series play each other, but since baseball has completely turned its back on the Houston Astros, uh, it'll be the New York Yankees with Garrett Cole, former Houston Astro. Wow. And I did see uh, Bregman get stuck with one yesterday and Altuve, correct? 
I believe they both got plunked. Yeah, so uh, him um, and Springer as well. So they, they – and, you know, Twitter loves to, like, laugh about that. Well, they also put up 15 runs yesterday. So, please, continue <laughs> plunking them because it seems like you're going to put the team that has the best on-base percentage in baseball last year when they were found innocent that you're going to keep giving them free ba- free bags? Okay. Yeah, keep doing it. I mean, they seem to be pretty tough. We'll get into my picks on that in a minute. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about some more social things with Major League Baseball that we are, we just have to. Um, but let's let's start with uh, the nitty gritty here. So, you had a really good take on the Atlanta Braves over under thirty three and a half. It's the most popular, one of the most popular overs. Obviously, the Dodgers being oh wow, the Dodgers. And by the way, did you see what they signed Mookie Betts today? Do you see that thing? Yeah, I guess they're just never going to run out of money. 12 years, basically 385 million. I think it was 65 guaranteed. Like, yeah, I don't know where the money's coming from. I, I have no idea, but that is, that is unbelievable. Uh, and he's really good. Don't get me wrong, but boy, you're making a statement. 12 there. years, long time. Uh, 12 years. So, um, hey, can you hear me? I can hear you great. Okay, good. So, um, let's talk about your pick Atlanta Braves under 33 and a half, as that looks to be almost 70% of the betting public on the futures has the over from the get-go. You kind of like the under, 33-and-a-half. It's only 60 games. It's just got to win 34, man. It's no big deal. But that's a little bit more different with a 60-game season than, with, you know, than meets the eye. So let's kind of re- readdress your logic there because I thought it was interesting the first time since the season starts tomorrow. Let's kind of do that one again. It is. And, you know, it's centered around the lack of veteran pitching. You know, Soroka and Folly, they're not – extremely young guys well Soroka is but the rest of the pitching staff it's not like crazy young but they're not experienced they don't have these high pressure innings that a lot of guys that you're going to see uh for like the Yankees like a Garrett Cole or like they don't have an ace like that that has been tested that way if you know what I mean they don't have a Justin Verlander uh and I think that that's going to hit you know, some hard times during the 60-game season. And I think it's going to be tough, you know. And they're also in the same division with the Nationals, who they're actually predicted a half game more to win. And I, I don't necessarily understand that logic. I do like the Braves as a team. I think they're a great up-and-coming team. And if we're playing a full 162 and, you know, that number was right, I think that we probably would go over on them. But in this short the short span, I just don't like it. And, you know, when you got guys like Gas Cam Melanson on your team and Cole Hamels, like those are your veterans, I, I'm not I'm not going to be too excited about that. Gas Cam. <laughs> oh, I used to love me to say that uh, when he was pitching for Houston. It was so great. Um, so, no, I kind of agree with you there. And also that division, not exactly a slouch division. Uh, coming off, you know, the, the defending national champions – I think we both agree that Mets are going to be a – I don't know if I'll call them a contender. They're not going to be a bum. I think we can agree on that. Yeah. Uh, the Phillies, they won 90 games last year. They, they're not – they, they have their eye on winning that division. Uh, the Marlins are trash. But at the same time, though, I mean, it is a tough division with the Bret, uh, the Bretts, with the Bretts, with the Mets in there as long as the Phillies. Uh, Phillies, I, I, I kind of think I wouldn't be surprised if the Phillies won that division. To be honest with you, I think they might be the better team in that division uh, if they can kind of get out the gate because uh, they came out so slow last year. And then, you know, it's tough to make well, that up. And you know, you know how it is. Yeah. So the next, so, the Phillies won 81 games last year. They were exactly at 500. I thought it was, uh, thought it was 90. 
Yikes. No, Way they up. won 81 games. They were at 500. Uh, and then they fired their disaster of a manager, Gabe Kapler. And uh, he is now in San Francisco. Oh, great. Well, we San Francisco. What a patriotic, uh, police-loving city. Uh, surely they won't take knees in San Francisco. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. Never mind. Uh, we saw that disaster come. So I think um, for me, I don't have an over-under here. I don't see one that I can connect with. I've already bet yours. I'm taking that uh, on the record, um, but that doesn't really matter. I don't have the over-under. For me, I, I, I'm going to go back to what I said. I like the White Sox to win that division at uh, plus 750. I like the Reds to win them at basically the same in the Central and the NL. I like the White Sox and the Reds a lot. I bet both their season totals last year and lost both. So one would think Danny Belt's coming back with a vengeance. But a lot of these games they lost were close. The farm systems on both teams are great. I really like how both these teams finished the season. I like what they did in free agency. And the two sleeper ones for me uh, are going to be the Reds to win the pennant at 30-1 to and the White Sox to win their pennant at 30-1. to I'm not going to get into them with the World Series odds. I might get a little bit in there, but I do like – my favorite, I mean, we're talking, that's like a one-unit play. But a five-unit play for me, and a five-unit play is a max, uh, is going to be the Houston Astros. And I, I've seen seven to one. I've seen eight to one. So let's just say plus 750, seven and a half to one. I feel there is value there beyond measure. And I think a lot of people are looking at this team like, well, they lost Garrett Cole. Well, that doesn't really mean that all of a sudden you can't fill that void. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a, what's my boy's name? Curveball. Uh Lance McCullers Jr. McCullers Jr. is going to be back. Uh, I, and even if Grinky, if he can be as promising as he looked the last game he pitched in Game 7 in the World Series, along with Cy Young, Justin Verlander, the way the Astros are built with the bullpen all the way to closer, especially with that lineup, don't tell me they're not a top-three team in baseball. I mean, they're telling you that by their third in the World Series odds, but I think the Astros should be more 4-1, to one, and you're starting to get me close to 8-1. to one. I'm going to have to hammer that. I know you're a homer, you love the Astros, but you have to like that play. I mean, you have to almost. Well, I'm not saying you have to, but I'm sure that you like those odds as an Astros fan, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm in on that as well. Um, my only concern is actually the bullpen. You know, they lost Will Harris. I, I do think that the starters are going to be good. I, I like Verlander and Granke, especially in a small year. And I do like McCullers off of um, – off of Tommy John to come back in a small year where you don't necessarily have to limit his innings as bad, which is, you know, a whole other topic on limiting innings. But um, as far as the bullpen goes, you know, you're stacked at the back end with Presley and Osuna, but Osuna right now, you know, he's, uh, he's late to camp. So I don't know if he's going to start the year on the active roster, but you still have Ryan Presley, um, you know, you're going to have to see some good things out of Davinsky and hope some of these young kids are pitching well too. Cause it looks like Joe Smith opts out of this season, but uh, you know, the starting pitching is going to have to take them and, you know, they're, they're going to put up runs. This lineup is absolutely ridiculous. Even without Alvarez right now, who they're not saying anything, but it sounds like he's got the Corona. Um, but once he comes back and he's passing, you know, that, that lineup is absolutely murderous. Well. Oh, there's no doubt about it. And it's, it doesn't necessarily have to be home run hitting machines. It's more, I mean, it's, it's gap power too. A lot of doubles from that team, just a lot of extra base hits in general. Um, so, but there's no chance that Alvarez is opting out, correct? Because when Stephen A. Smith talks baseball, that's like me talking about, I don't know, like 
you know, the Spanish Inquisition or something. I, I, I know the highlights, know really nothing about what happened. Stephen A. says that there could be potentially he might be uh, sitting the season out. And I, I listened to that yesterday. That's probably total malarkey, correct? That's not the information I've gotten. Okay. Well, you could I put it on a tee for you to slam that guy. Good for you. You're a better man than I. <laughs> no, he just said, I don't know. I think he's sitting it out. And I'm like, and I like, I don't. I he's like hoping for that. Out. He's hoping for that because he's a Yankees fan. And as you well know, 2015, 2017, 2019, the Astros ended their hopes. So I, I would I would be pulling against them too if I was him. I just did black voice, so I'm about to get canceled. But, yes, and I, I, and I do – he is a Yankees fan, and I do actually enjoy him from time to time. He's extremely talented, and he knows what he's doing. But I just think he throws out hot takes like that when it's clearly you, you, would, you would know if – but he's got his sources, I imagine. Um, but <laughs> – um, speaking of Major League Baseball, getting deeper into that, what I like about Major League Baseball the most is that they really didn't succumb to the cuckoldry of the NBA uh, and the NFL. Just as far as really just – and cause aside, everyone's opinion aside, Major League Baseball went the opposite way. When everybody was protesting the police, do you remember that game in L.A. where the, they brought like a 1,000 cops on the field before the game and the Jets flew over the stadium, you know what I'm saying? They were like, yeah. we're taking – you don't remember that? No, yeah, I do remember that. Oh, like what I was saying, Major League Baseball takes the opposite stance, and now it's kind of weird for me to see them just kind of get in line. And I know it sounds like, whoa, you must hate the cause. It's just weird to see people in Major League Baseball taking a knee. I think it's a little confusing now for me what's happening, why they're doing this in baseball. But, I mean, it is something that I know you wanted to discuss. So, kind of what did you think initially when you saw that? Yeah, so – you know, it was one thing to see players taking a knee in baseball. It was extremely, you know, it's like, wait, what? This is Major League Baseball. They don't do that here. Uh, and But, you know, it, being a team out in San Francisco, it probably got all the fans all riled up. And you're not exactly a, a martyr anymore if you do take a knee. It's actually more popular if you do, it seems like. At least within the media, you'll be portrayed a lot better. Uh, see Drew Brees for if you're against it. Uh, and... <laughs> So, but what, what was really alarming and what was upsetting to people that aren't necessarily for kneeling for the flag, which I, I just don't understand how that became such an extremist view to not want to, your, to not want people to kneel for the flag, was that not only did, they, did the players for the Giants do it, but Major League Baseball tweeted it out and then said, you know, hashtag Black Lives Matter. So, and I don't know. I just standing in support for that. And, and I mean that uh, I know that's a double entendre there, but it's not that it just doesn't seem so radical to want people to stand for the national anthem. It's supposed to be United States of America. You know, we don't have to go down that rabbit hole. But what I know. is very disgusting to me is that we're going to constantly go down this. Keep saying Black Lives Matter. Yes, that is true. I love the sentiment. What I don't love is the that it falls under this Marxist group that is trying to indoctrinate everyone with Marxist beliefs. So that's why I get frustrated whenever you see major league baseball do that. So yes, a lot of people are going to protest it. I saw uh, boycott MLB was the trending topic on Twitter the other day. So, and then everyone says, Oh, I just, you know, the Twitter is so liberal. It's outrageous. So it says things like, Oh, I just love seeing the racists get mad on Twitter. How are you a racist for wanting to stand for the flag? And I'll, I'll stop there and let you jump in. But it, it was something that really frustrated me because 
It's one thing like, okay, if you want to take a knee, that's fine. But why does baseball – it's like baseball can't ever get out of its way. And I know I said I was going to tell you that you could jump in. But they had an opportunity at the beginning of this season to really get things going and have the sole market. But now they're going to have to split it with basketball because they chili dicked around for too long and couldn't get their <laughs> act together. So basketball is going to start it today while baseball starts tomorrow. That is how stupid this league is. They can't get out of their own way. They – you know – if they they were stuck in such old school ways for so long, but now they wanted to go completely reverse. It's like whenever the girl who, you know, I, I won't go too deep into that, but it's just outrageous the way that they can never get out of their own way. Baseball has the worst PR staff in the history of of companies, in my opinion. I mean, it's going to be tough to argue that. And don't ever cut your ranch short for me. Keep going. Uh, but um, I think I understand what you're saying. The way I look at it is this. And yes, I'm with the sentiment as well. But with the sentiment comes the deep underlying, you know, just go on their website and read it. You said it. they are founded by two trained Marxists. That's right on their website. They are trying to undermine the nuclear family patriarchy of America, which is funny because, again, the black community struggles from the lack of of, of patriarchy in the household. This is a fact. Now, all my black friends will tell you that. They'll tell you that. Uncle Rux will tell you that. Parlay King will tell you that. Some other people you haven't met, Black Jay will tell you that. A couple guys that didn't, didn't have dads will tell you that. So right there, it's kind of a, like, okay, the sentiment's there, but I'm not really with – they're talking about a rabbit hole. Just start reading their bylaws. You'll really start to walk around the block and go, what, are you kidding me? But I think what's weird is that is that the NFL has always kind of been – that in between, we don't really want to go here too far, not there, but they lean towards the NBA. The NBA being the absolute just joke of the world, the biggest hypocrisy in the history of prof- in the history of professional sports. And you know, baseball has always kind of been that, like he's kind of that rock pillar, that opposite. Like, no, we're kind of about the military, we're kind of about the cops. Everybody stands for national anthem. This is what we do. The disturbing thing is the marketing decision more than uh, what other people are talking about. NASCAR is probably the most disturbing. Uh, I know everyone classifies NASCAR fans as racist and just, you know, rebel flags, idiots. I'm sure they're there. But the NASCAR fans I know really aren't like that. Um, sure, you can find, you can cherry pick the two, three guys with the Confederate flags and have fun with that. I'm, yeah, sure, so can I. Let me go to, a, you know, an Occupy and take pictures of some of the signs that I saw when I was at one in Colorado. I could have made a montage of that myself. But the point is that, you know, when NASCAR did this, I really got, I was like, baseball's next. Because baseball is behind NASCAR as far as kind of that old school American kind of blue collar type thing. And then now, now that they've done that, I feel that Pandora's box has officially been opened because the problem, and I don't even care if you take a knee, I really don't. The problem is, is when does it stop? What do you want next? The movement is, and I've said it every episode, it is a monster of an unquenchable thirst that drinks the rivers and then looks for the ocean. It'll drink the ocean and then look for something else. And rarely the water's got to run out eventually. So my thing is, I'm a little concerned. The NASCAR thing concerned me. I've never watched the NASCAR. I've watched one. But, you know, I watch baseball as my favorite sport, and that's college football. And I, I'm with you on this one, as most things, which is not a shocking statement. But I feel that right now, the scary part is, I hate to keep saying it, is what's next? What's next? I was going to say. And if I could jump in there, I was going to say, I, I think we're five years away from, and I don't know what sport, with them burning an American flag during the national anthem and then everyone fighting for that right too. That's not, that's, 
it will be the NBA. It'll be a game in Golden State. I'm going to call it right now. It'll be a Lakers game in Golden State uh, where LeBron Curry will hold it and LeBron will light it. And yeah, then, when he does, when he when he's not as good anymore, and he's really falling off, that's whenever he'll really take that activist because he just can't get out of the limelight. Yeah. Steve Kerr will, will try to put it out, but he'll piss on it. Um, yeah, I can already see this right now. It's great. It's it's amazing. And the scary part is that you know if it stopped at one point, I'd be like, okay, fine. But the whole cause and everything, they don't. It's like, what do you want? What do you want? And I talked about this earlier with the University of Missouri, where they gave these these demands to the dean and there's a reason why their their freshman uh their freshman enrollment is down like 40 percent 40 percent my calculations they've lost almost 90 million dollars since 2015 and i'm on the conservative side you'll hear it but my point is that it just doesn't stop and it takes and the term when you go woke you go broke is one of the is one of the most accurate things i've ever heard there are exceptions kaepernick he got woke he got super rich (laughs) but it was never about the money but he had no problem taking that, what, $50 million from Disney or something? Yeah, he's cool. We get it. Yeah, but you know what? I do have more respect for him than I do for Gabe Kapler and I do too. The, the Giants because he actually did lose his job for a while. Now, you could say he was already on his way out because, you know, he got beat up by Blaine Gabbert, let, you not, let us not forget. But he actually, you know, kind of had – like he never played football again after that, right? So – Whenever, you know, you look at Gabe Kapler never was going to lose his job for doing this and Yastrzemski and the other players that were part of this. But, you know, the thing is, is that Major League Baseball had such an opportunity here to be like to represent America correctly, be the sport that. And what does MLB gain by tweeting that out? The same thing NASCAR no. game by they get they get wokeness from people that aren't going to turn tune into baseball games. But you know what you did, you and, and you know I, I don't fall into this. I'm still going to watch sports. I, I I hate all the political shit that's involved with it, but I'm still going to watch it. But there's a lot of people that are no longer going to be a part of it, and I I can't blame those people. Like I mean, how how can you blame them? You're spitting in the face of everything they believe in. And telling them that they're racist because they disagree with you whenever what they're saying, it's not about right. Like, so, I don't know. Well, uh, I, I've, I've rambled. No, we, we talked about it. Look, man, I can't I can't go to Saints games anymore. I can't watch it anymore. And you don't, you said, I don't blame you. It's not the reason of the Drew Brees and everything. And that's one thing. And he comes back and, you know, he cucks and apologizes for something. There's no way you should apologize for. And then the minute that he does, everyone's like, all right, I'm cool. I'm cool. All that, that all that, like. Malcolm X Jenkins crying. That's a disgrace. He was disgraceful last night on CNN. I watched him with Don Lemon. Uh, but the thing is, is that is, as long as Malcolm Jenkins plays for the Saints, there's no goddamn way I'll get no, There's no way I'll, I can't contribute a cent to his salary. And it has nothing to do with him being black. He could be Asian for all I care. I could care less. But you, know, you weren't rambling. You were right. And the thing is, you gain nothing. NASCAR lost the most. NASCAR, someone on that board said, Hey guys, I have a good idea. And they are somehow, somehow everyone was like, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's alienate 96% of our fan base. Major league baseball is not nearly that is anti, I won't say anti woke, but we all know NASCAR is more of the patriotic Christian Bible belt type thing, whatever. I don't subscribe to all the, the, the God forbid. Yeah, I get it. But, but, but the thing is like baseball, really what they showed is that uh, sometimes I guess it's not about the money. I'm going to have a hard time watching Major League Baseball. I never thought I would say that. Uh, but 
I, I really I'm not excited the season starting. I'll tell you that right now. I'm not. I actually hey, I'm tell you, I don't give a shit. I've made my bets and uh tell me what happens when it's over. I'll jump to your house, the <laughs> Astros are on. I'll watch the Astros with you, but I'm not gonna go out of my way to watch a major league baseball game. And I sure as shit ain't watching an NBA game or an NFL game. The only thing I have left is college football. And Clay Travis is kind of n- n- homed in on that. As he's, that's the only thing they can take now is college football. So all, and I mean they, you know who I mean. I don't mean Black Lives Matter. I mean the people that are trying to shut this whole thing down. That's all they have is college football. And I'm, 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 I'm very scared if we could do a couple minutes on that. I'm worried we may lose that as well. Well, the good part about college football that they do is that they, whenever they have the national anthem, everyone is in the locker room. The players are in the locker room. That's just a policy. So it, it spares us of that. Um, yeah. They've done a pretty good job of never being, you know, too political with college football. Uh, I, I truly hope that that doesn't happen though. I, I agree. I, I don't, I, I Man, we're gonna have to just watch horse racing at some point if <laughs> if if it keeps going like this. I don't think Seattle Slough is taking it. No, any. and if she does, we'll put take her to the glue the glue factory. <laughs> just, but I mean, I think that um, you know, I just can't wait for the first professional bowler to win the tournament and raise his fist at, at the stand. Oh yeah, that'll be that'll be the best. That's how we do it. Well. I don't have much else on that. I think it was a good bit. I, I, I do agree with you, and I, I know you're, you're going to watch the Astros. I was more committed to a team. It would be harder, but honestly, I'm committed to no team more than the New Orleans Saints, and there's no way I can, I can watch them, especially after what I heard last night on CNN from Malcolm Jenkins, the unapologetic, ludicrous, anti-Semitic nut job that now – when I mean unapologetic, I mean just like just as much as Michael Bennett not apologizing for insanity and I'm just not on board with it. And I refuse to, uh, I'm just going to have to get more creative on Sunday. Maybe go to bed, bath and yawn with the wife. If we don't know if there's time or I don't know, but I'll, I'll figure it out. You know? Yeah. Well, drunk neighbor, I think you may be coming on later with Mr. Salvo to wrap up the episode with some MMA. Is that what I hear? Yeah. Hey body, hey body. We got, we got some fights this week. Did you enjoy Luke Longley last week? I thought he killed. Thought he did a good job. I like the coach story. Uh, and uh, he did make fun of me for having the longest opening thing. That was about as long as what did he say about? Uh, yeah, it was about as long. I think he said it was about as long as his flight. <laughs> what he had to fly, coach. That was great. All right, well, we'll let you go, brother. Uh, I'll get you on the back end with Dickie Salvo, and we'll just go from there. All right, Anadoshis. And uh, really does a good job. I feel of constantly voicing his opinion of, of you know with him. It's not always about his opinion. I think he displays his opinion less than I. I think it's more about logic. And I try to base my stuff around logic and reason. And so does this guy coming on the show right now, Tommy Bench. Mr. Belts, good to be with you here on another episode of the Sports Antidote, The Reset. Yes, number six. Glad to have you on. You're going to love my uh, operating expense um, analogy towards the University of Missouri, who is tanking. You will like what's going on there. You're an ops guy. You know what's up. I've looked at the occasional P&L and uh, had to be concerned with OPEX <laughs> at various times. The occasional P&L. <laughs> I thought P&L stood for parts and labor. <laughs> that, that's, it, it can mean that in some context. Uh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. E for effort. Um, so 
we have so much to talk about. We have limited time as we try to keep the podcast to an hour. I feel like sometimes we can go on for hours about so much, but that would be stupid. So, look, I do want to touch base um, on initially. I want to talk about the NFL, their, what they have set up as far as their nonprofit, and then the political decals they're talking about putting on people's helmets. And before we get, before anyone rolls their eyes, if it was up to me, I don't care what you put on your helmet. I don't care. But just make sure that what the other guy puts on his helmet doesn't offend you if it offends you what he puts on his. You see what I'm saying? So with that being said, why don't we get into that? I'll let you uh, lead the floor from there. So when we were discussing this a couple of days ago, the idea that the NFL is going to let people start putting different decals on their helmets, it it got me to thinking, uh, you know, I always thought nonprofits – were not were had to be very restricted in how they engaged in political activity and could somebody make the argument that by the NFL especially if they're only explicitly allowing one type of message to go out could that be construed as political action and political activity so i thought well in, instead of like some leftist just go off and start screaming what i think i'll go do some reading do some research And I did uncover some interesting things. Okay, so a typical nonprofit that we would think of when you think of, say, churches or other nonprofits that are there for the community benefit are filed as a 501c3 organization. And that's what gives you tax-exempt status. Um, It governs how, if you have paid members, there's certain requirements and guidance that the IRS issues about how to handle paid staff and things like that. And interestingly enough, the NFL is not a 501c3. In fact, in 2015, they changed from being a 501c3 to a 501c6. And the key difference there, there are many differences, but one of the differences is a 501c6 can, in fact, engage in political activity, which I found very interesting. So that's one big key difference. And also 501c6s are viewed as more of trade organizations. And the NFL felt that was more appropriate because their, you know, their trade is football and they're just an organization for a bunch of football teams that engage in uh, inter-team play. So I thought that was interesting. And and then as I was checking out my tinfoil hat collection, I started thinking, was this something that was more than just for the reasons stated? Did, Did they envision an environment. Now this was in 2015 and I think it was before Trump even came down the escalator, but is it possible they envisioned an environment or a time where they would want to get political and they'd want to decide let's throw in with one side or the other. So I find it interesting. It was one of those things. Once I started, I ended up at a different place than where I thought I was going to end up. And again, I encourage people anytime you have a thought about something, go do a little reading and research before reaching a, a final conclusion. So it's just a, just an interesting thing I found out and almost led to a few more questions than, than answers from where I started. Sure. And it is funny, as we recall, they wouldn't let, I'm not the only one to say this, but you know, this, we do this podcast weekly. There's daily sources that go out there. They would not let Tim Tebow put a Bible verse on his eyebrow and his eye black. They would not let Jason Witten wear a police decal. So this is going to open. This is going to be interesting, regardless of what side of that nonprofit they're on. It is going to be interesting to see my point if they deny some Christian for putting that on his face and or another guy for wanting to put a police decal 
which is not popular amongst professional sports, on the helmet. I think it's a fundamental difference. You see what I'm saying? I just want to find out what they're going to allow and what they're not. And then we'll really see what, what, what hand the NFL is carrying, uh, what type of hand they have, because I don't think they have shit. I think they, they're saying they have four aces right now. Uh, I think they have uh, do seven offsuit. They got nothing, and we're going to find it out pretty soon. Well, well, I think so. And it will be interesting because, of course, no matter what, whether they have sky-high ratings or awful ratings, either side will blame it on COVID. So it might almost take a season or two to see the lasting effects or the impact in terms of ratings, revenue, all those sort of things. It, it really it really is such a unique time because nothing nothing can be measured or evaluated as a singular non dependent variable because there's this other variable that everything is dependent on that being COVID. So very interesting. And it will be interesting to see, are they throwing in with the right side of this or are they going to suffer? And at the end of the day, they care about making money. So it'll be interesting to see how that all pans out for them. It will be. I think they're a bunch of babies. Speaking about babies, segue. (laughs) Uh, Can we get into something we discussed not too long ago? Um, Pediatric. COVID. I can't believe the sports satellite's going here, but look, there's some interesting facts. We'll call balls and strikes. This isn't your opinion. That's right. There is some facts here, so why don't you provide us with some factual information, because uh, we've had a couple entrees here. Why don't you slap that porterhouse down on my plate, medium rare? Uh, let's get that going. That's right. Porterhouse, medium rare, please and thank you. All right. So the big topic of discussion out there. Opening schools, kids and COVID and and how many kids die? And, and are we going to send kids to death camps and all the kinds of ludicrous? Death camps. All right. Here we go. Everything, every number I'm going to cite comes from the CDC website. If you Google provisional COVID-19 deaths by sex, age, and week, you will come up with the CDC website that has this data. And every data set or every number I'm going to quote started at February 1st and runs through to July 11th, the most recent week for which they have aggregated and published data. Okay, so let's start with the the big number. Under the age of 24, all causes of death in the United States. Under the age of 24, all causes of death in the United States. 24,866 people under the age of 24 have died for any reason, since February 1st up until July 11th. So keep that number in mind. 25,000 people, all reasons, car accidents, drownings, murder, suicide, drug overdose. Every conceivable reason that somebody under the age of 24 could die numbers about 25,000 people. How many do you think in that same age group and in that same time since February 1st to July 11th, how many do you think have died of COVID? Are you asking me? I'm asking you. Just your right. gut feeling. Because, you know, I, I'm sure that our, our audience will think, yeah, you guys, you got together before it. No, we didn't. Um, uh, so how many deaths? 27,000? Well, this is all causes of death for the ages 24 and under. Sure, sure. 25,000. Now, how many of that 25,000 do you think for that same age group, under the age of 24, how many do you think were COVID as the cause of death? So if I said the number I thought initially, that would make sense percentage-wise. I'm going to go way lower. I'm going to say 200. 
You're not far off. 188. If this was the Price is Right, I would have gone over and lost both showcases. But damn, not not far off. But Drew Carey would have been impressed. Drew Carey would have been impressed. Bob Barker would have been disgusted because Drew Carey is a disgrace. But I'm sorry. Keep going. So the reason I bring these numbers up, and, and it's not, first of all, it's not to make light of death. And if we speak in a rather clinical tone, it's on purpose. We're not trying to, you know, speak lightly about death, especially children and young people dying. That's a tragedy anytime. But, but the fact is you are almost 132 times more likely if you are under the age of 24, if, if you walked into a morgue tomorrow and, and the mortician said in that freezer is somebody under the age of 24. If you guess correctly, I will give you a million dollars. COVID or non-COVID, you would be an idiot to guess COVID. Because it'd be 132 times more likely they died of something else. Something other than COVID. So that's, again, we're talking about people under the age of 24. And and so, when and and I'm going to dive one step deeper. Ages 5 to 14. So these are school-age children, and, and let's I think the reason the CDC splits off at 14, because you can make the argument that prior to 14, most kids that age physiologically are still children. Maybe some have started puberty, some haven't, but they split it between 14 and 15. And it makes sense because, look, once you hit 15, probably a higher percentage of young people who are 15 physiologically represent adults and are closer to being adults than they are children. Okay, makes sense. I'll, I'll go with that explanation. In the 5 to 14 age group, so this is most school-age children, especially elementary school, total deaths from February 1st to July 11th, total deaths, all causes, 2,173. The total number of COVID deaths of that 2,173, 14. 14. (laughs) So among school-age children, especially elementary school, you, you are 155 times more likely, if you are dead, to have died from something non-COVID. And again, you walk into any morgue in the country and the mortician says, guess this person's cause of death. Something else or COVID, you would be an idiot to guess COVID. In fact, 0.64% of deaths of kids in the 5 to 14 age range are COVID. Again. My heart goes out to those 14 families who lost children. That is a tragedy. No parents should have to deal with that. And if we have any listeners who've had to deal with that, I, I, I truly, my heart goes out to you. That, that's something no parents should have to deal with. But when people represent the idea that going back to school or putting kids together is a death sentence or a death camp, it's just, it's beyond irresponsible. Talk about calling balls and strikes. You're, you're, that'd be like, That'd be like if you were the umpire for the baseball game and you threw a flag for holding. Like, I, that's how far out of bounds you are by trying to claim that sending kids back to school would be death camps. Furthermore, let's talk about teachers. Okay. All right. Fair discussion. Hey, you might have some teachers that have vulnerabilities. Okay. I, I think we as, a community, we as a community, as a country, we could deal with that. We could say, here's how we're going to address teachers who are maybe in the vulnerable age group. First of all, maybe we'll rely more heavily on assistant teachers, or maybe we'll make deals with local colleges and get some of those soon-to-be teacher graduates 
get them into the field a little bit early, have them do an interim year. I think there's all kinds of things that smart people could do to, and still have the benefit of in-person education. But what's really telling and what really gets me wound up on this topic, beside the fact that I have a nine-year-old, a five-year-old, and a three-year-old, and the, five, the nine-year-old should be going into fourth grade, and the five-year-old should be starting kindergarten in a couple of weeks here, but I'm really worried we're going to get told it's some online BS, which is not as beneficial. Certain teachers' unions have released documents. And in the words of somebody we like to quote, I have the documents to prove it. The Los Angeles School District Teachers Union released their 17-page, I'm going to call it a manifesto, of everything that they want before they will return to school. Oh, here we go. No way. I I didn't see that coming. And you could could look it up. It is called, the document is called The Same Storm But Different Boats, The Safe and Equitable Start of School. 17 pages long. I will not claim that I read every word of it, but I scanned most headlines. Well, at least it's not 750,000 pages long, but the Unaffordable Health Care Act, but that's a start. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Right, right. Now, this one, I think they even said we need to pass it before. No, I'm just kidding. They didn't say it. We need to, we need but, to, we need to pass it so we can see what's in it. That's, yeah. Yes. So this 17-page document, there, there's many pages. I think some people on the right have misrepresented that it's nothing but a 17 pages of social justice warrioring. It's not. There's quite a bit in there about COVID and, and social distancing and mask wearing and the challenges. There's there's like seven or eight pages where I think most people would kind of nod their head and go, yeah, OK, okay we could talk about that. That's a reasonable concern. OK, but let's get to let's get to the meat and potatoes, shall we? A wealth tax. They won't return to teaching until a wealth tax is passed on California billionaires on unrealized capital gains. They want a millionaire tax. Any income over a million dollars. Now, to those of us in uh, not California, that sounds like a lot of money. But listen, if you live in California, a million dollars probably gets you, depending on where you live, it, it gets you a, a upper middle class or upper income lifestyle. But it's not, you know, a million dollars in Los Angeles or San Francisco is not the same as a million dollars even in the Dallas-Fort Worth area or New Orleans in terms of the kind of lifestyle it can provide. Are you so, kidding me? Your property taxes alone in, in, in San Francisco, go ahead and kiss 15% of the, I mean, maybe not that much, but the property taxes in San Francisco are outrageous, and obviously the cost of living is absolutely outrageous. And yes, let's continue to distance the, the upper middle class, because there is no upper middle class anymore. I mean, it's basically in San Francisco and L.A., you either have money or you don't, right? Right. I mean, that's it. You're either Dick, wealthy or you're Dickie poor. Salvo a contributor on this podcast had to leave San Francisco making good money. I'm not going to say how much, but I, if he made the money he did over there, he's moving back to Pennsylvania, by the way. If he made that money over there, he did in the greater New Orleans area. Shit. He could live in, uh, he could live on Ottoman Boulevard. Right. <laughs> if he wanted, uh, he could live in Uptown for sure. Buy a house, no problem. I mean, he's good. He's no Donald Trump. Sure, living in his fine. Own house. He's good. He's no Elon Musk. Fine. But I think that, you know, I think it is insane. Uh, whenever I hear wealth tax, I, and I heard AOC jabbing about that yesterday on some tweet where she still doesn't understand how to conjugate your, your, and your. It really is getting a little outrageous as they make fun of every, you know, tweet. She has tweets where I'm like, all right, can someone explain to her how to, what do they teach at Boston College? She, she has tweets that make Kofefe look like war and peace. I mean, in terms of. <laughs> intelligence so 
But I, I haven't even, even, gotten, even my even my liberal, super liberal, not leftist, but super liberal Democrat friends are not on this AOC train because yeah, I'm not. I, I I don't get it, especially Omar. Let's not go down there. We got a few more minutes. Go ahead, man. I'm yeah. All right. So let, let me round it out with with two other big items. So so, of course, now this is on page. I believe I'm on page 11 here. And again, this is the interesting thing about the, le- the diehard leftists. They are now saying the quiet part out loud. They are they aren't holding back. They're just being who they are. And I encourage people to, to read this document for yourself. Again, first seven, eight pages, mostly related to health issues, COVID. They do throw in the Medicare for all. Of course, that's their answer to everything. So, look, that's health related. So I won't get on that. Defund police. I, I want to read this. It's only two sentences. Police violence is a leading cause of death and trauma for black people and is a serious public health and moral issue. We must shift the astronomical amount of money devoted to policing to education and other essential needs such as housing and public health. I'll tell you what, Chief. We should grant those teachers. We should say, I'll tell you what, we're not we can't defund the whole police department. But we will never respond to a call at a Los Angeles school district school. If a public school calls the police, you're just going to get a busy signal. How's that? How's that strike you? And then the final one, and this is the one that, that is, really shows the heart of how much this teachers union cares for the children of the Los Angeles Unified School District. Charter moratorium. They want charter schools shut down. Jeez. They don't want competition because what is what is what is the one thing every union has in common? No, whether you're a steel workers union, a teachers union, a government employee union, what all unions have in common is they hate competition and they will do anything to prevent having to compete for the jobs or the dollars or the work. And if you've ever been in the private sector dealing with private sector unions, electricians and plumbers, and, you know, there was a time when those unions the, the, the trade-off was, hey, Mr. Management, we'll provide you skilled, trained workers that you know can do the job right. You got to pay us good rates and health care and, and management and labor. OK, they'd go back and forth, but they'd eventually strike a deal. Now, I can tell you from firsthand experience, it, it, it is not that. It is we're the union and we're going to do the jobs that we want to do. And... We'll see about what standard of work we do it to. And by the way, you want to try to throw a union guy off of a union work site? Good luck with that. And same thing with these teachers. It's disgusting. They want to sit here and talk about how they're all for the kids. Yet when you read through this document, it's just a miasma of left wing. I mean, ultra left wing, anti, anti-wealth, anti-success and pro-government expansion guised under the guise of saying we care about our kids no you don't no you don't and by the way they all want you know full pay they want more pay to do less work it's it's just it's unbelievable so again to round things out right before you say i'm sorry i disagree it's extremely believable (laughs) you have not dumbfounded me one bit you're reading this it sounds like the onion goddamn news network but it's not because nothing can surprise me anymore so i disagree for the first time with you in a while it's quite believable as a matter of fact it's almost predictable and extremely expectable but go ahead well you are right i have to i have to back off it's predictable and what's funny is 
you know, if, if three or four weeks ago, and I'm sure there was some conservative out there making this point or somebody on the right making this point. And if you make these kind of points to, to somebody on the hard left, they say, oh, you're just being ridiculous. You're being ridiculous. Cancel. Then it happens. Anti-canceled. Anti-canceled. Because it happens. And we get proven right. So to round it out, you know, Tommy Bench, what are you saying? One, what I'm saying is, unless your kid has an immunocompromised situation, I think kids should be back in school. I think teachers should be given some, some grace and there should be some flexibility to allow for teachers who might have their own health issue and or in a, are in a risk group. Yes, that'll be challenging. That'll require HR managers to have difficult and delicate conversations with employees because usually an employee's health cannot be in any way related to their job if they're able to perform the job. So those are challenging things. But guess what, Chief? If you have the word manager in your title, like HR manager, that's what you're paid to do. You're paid to go have tough conversations, okay? I have the word manager in my title. I've had to sit across the table from 12 people and tell them they're no longer employed by the company we work for. So, you know, it ain't fun. Nobody likes to do it. But those are sometimes the tough things that need to be done. So all in all, people who are saying sending kids back to school is a death camp and or they're looking for billions of dollars and other other ideological causes. It, it's just disgusting, especially you, you claim to care about kids and want and, and, and you claim to acknowledge that education is a pathway out of really poor circumstances for a lot of kids. And then you throw this crap out there. It's just it's unbelievable. Give me a break. But you know. I tell you what, you've thrown some pretty, I call them hard chiefs. That was a hard chief earlier. I, I, that was by the hardest. That was a 10. Because uh, you transitioned into a very demonstrative um, transition there. So I'm all about the hard chiefs. But yes, we have to wrap this segment up. Now, can I have, can I take one more second? Go ahead, Jerry Springer. On, on man. Something. What, what's that called? The, the, what did Jerry Springer used to call it? The, the guy, I don't know. Whatever. He's, another, he's another nut job. Go ahead. Uh, we're hitting the demo hard tonight with Jerry Springer references. All right. Sick. I want to give a special shout out to a, a special part of our audience. Myself. No. Mm. No. Damn it. I want to give a shout out to the 1% of our audience who identifies as non-binary. I just want to say thank you for listening. And I mean this with all sincerity. <laughs> I'm sure we could hire some marketing and analytics firm and pay them tens of thousands of dollars and they would tell us, Hey, look, that, that, that segment, you're just, you're not going to have any listeners who fall into that category. You guys are too, but you know what? Somebody's breaking the mold out there. Somebody who says, I don't fit into the male and female gender roles decides to listen to our show. And we just want to say thank you to those folks. We appreciate you listening. We appreciate all our listeners and all fans and all anecdotions out there, but to the non-binary folks, thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. Love seeing those statistics come up on our analytics on Anchor, the best way to record a podcast. I couldn't agree more. And Anchor does. That is incredible how we're able to see cities, uh, states, cities, break it down to counties and parishes. It is pretty badass. But anyway, uh, Tommy Bench, some serious, hardcore, pipe-hitting, go-to-work-with-the-homes-with-a-pair-of-pliers-and-a-blowtorch statistical analysis. And that these are the facts. And they are indisputed. Undisputed. I, I was just watching it today. He says these are the facts, and they are undisputed. I keep saying indisputed. I know. Damn it. Kevin Bacon, a few good men. Yes. These are the facts of the case, Your Honor. Oh, yeah. I love it. And they are undisputed. But, yes, uh, I think it's great. Anyway, we'll have you on next week. Uh, Great rip. This is why we have you on. This is going to make a lot of people do some – maybe do their own research. 
and really look into some things because this isn't your opinion. Uh, nope. It's the facts. So. All right, Danny Belts. We'll Talk see you next week. Dickie Salvo and the Drunk Neighbor return for a quick uh, conclusionary MMA segment, UFC segment for the show. We got a great card this weekend. I have no idea what that means. I just go to the Drunk Neighbor's house and he tells me what to bet on. And I just take what he says and drink a bunch of beer. It's a great time. I'm going to jump out of here. You guys jump in. Let's talk about this card. Awesome. So, yeah. So, uh, Dickie, good to have you back. We missed you last week after reviewing some of the fights from UFC 251 at Fight Island. So, one of the more interesting ones that we talked about going in that was a lot of controversy was uh, Max Holloway and Volkanovski. So, Volkanovski wins in a very controversial decision. I think neither of us agreed with that. Uh, But one of the headlines leaving that is that FanDuel is actually not taking the money. They're sending the money back to people that bet on Max Holloway. What do you think? I think it's a stand-up move by FanDuel. It's the right move. Uh, We talked a little bit about this off-air, but when the, now that they're doing it in Fight Island, given the, the situation that COVID's helped create, um, some of the judges, they're just not competent, and it's obvious. And so it's cool to see FanDuel stand up and do the right thing, given the circumstances. Uh, I'm telling you, I wish my, my book would have done that because it, it killed a parlay with Usman for me. But, you know, we were talking about it off there as well. These judges, if they're going to continue to make these controversial picks and just – because, honestly, I, I think he got absolutely robbed, and it's a shame because – that was already number two. We probably won't get number three, at least not for a while. But it, these judges should have to go out there and hold up hold up their scores like it's the dunk contest or something. Yeah, they have to clean this up. They have to find a solution to it. I'm sure Dana is aware of it, but at the same time, you know, they're just they have such a monopoly right now that it almost doesn't matter. You know, people are going to watch it. They're going to watch it no matter what. That might change in a few months. Yeah, for sure. So hey, let's let's talk about this week. So we got. Uh, another fight on Fight Island this week. So Whitaker versus Till. Uh, what do you what are you seeing in this headliner with Till and Whitaker? And there any other ones on the card that you like? I think it's a sneaky good headliner. The card in total is weak. We could talk about some fights like we discussed previously, but honestly, this fight does excite me. Uh, Whitaker coming off the loss to Anastasia, but now apparently more healthy. I mean, he's had basically eight and a half months off. Uh, he should be healthier. He came out of those battles with Romero. And he's gone up against Till, who, I mean, realistically, his losses are Tyron Woodley and Jorge Masvidal. And, you know, he's 27 years old. He's a bigger guy. Uh, it's a fascinating fight. I, I think the fact that Whitaker is a small favorite, I see more value in that. But Till is probably a young – you know, they're similar age, but Till is earlier in his career. And I think that's worth something a little bit in, in this spot. So we lost you there for a second, but I think what you were getting at was that the guy younger in his career might be a, a little bit of a dog here. So uh, with these two, you know, I, I like this fight as well. I'm really excited about it. It's two guys that were had a lot of momentum going into it. And then, and excuse me, not going into this fight, but they had a lot of momentum going and both were stopped. You know, Whitaker lost his last one, Till lost it, lost two, and then got his last win once he moved over to, to uh, this weight class. But um, I, I, my pick on this one is going to be that I think that it does not go the distance, and that's minus 170. So that's going to be my pick for this card. Do you have any other thoughts on that fight? 
No, I like the pick. I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, one of them will end it. Awesome. So, what else are you seeing on this card? You know, Shogun versus Nagura. I don't think we have to talk about that geriatric match. Let's talk a little bit about Verdum and Gustafsson. <laughs> what are you thinking there? Really interesting fight in the in the sense that the Gustafson's old. I mean, he's older now. He's he he hasn't fought a lot recently. He's a huge favorite. Verdum will have a size advantage. I don't know that I that I want to bet Verdum because Gustafson is is really unique fighter. But I want to see that fight. What do He's you think? A major of it? dog Verdum. Uh, what I like is if it goes to the ground. That's the only way that he could win this fight is if he gets to the ground and just finds a submission. I uh, but I I don't know if that happens. Yeah, I, I don't know that he's in any way. Yeah, so you, you cut out again there, but I, I think we're on the same page there. I think Gustafsson, if you have to bet that fight, is probably the f- pick, but you're going to be laying a lot of juice. So uh, if you can hear me, I, I know you were looking at one other fight on this card. Yeah, I, I know. My, I, the other fight I had in mind was I'm looking at uh, at Oliveira. He's going up against Tabata, and to me, that's a really interesting fight. Uh, you know, you look at Tabata's resume, his body of work. Uh, he's only lost to some, you know the most talented guy. So he, he's super capable. Um, he's a dog in this fight. Oliveira fights kind of recklessly, and I think that's the difference in this fight. All right. So, do you want to give your give any picks? for the crowd before we uh, break this segment up. It was a quick one, but I think it was efficient. You know, we'll have a lot more for UFC 252, but before that, got any picks for the Whitaker Till card? I'm going to bang Sabata plus one. Perfect. Well, everybody out there, bang Sabata. Dickie Salvo, always good on these picks. Danny Belts, any other questions for us? Are you ready to roll? Dickie, you broke up there, man. Can you Can you repeat that pick one more time? So he's got Sabata, Danny Belts. So okay. he's, he's got Sabata in this fight, so I would roll with that one. And then I'm going to go with in the Till Whitaker fight that it does not go the distance, minus 170. So a little prop bet there for you. Well, I'll take I'll take both of them. Uh, I like it. Uh, is there a chance, Salvo, you're still on, man? Because if not, it's all good. Probably not. That's okay. We got we got the meat in there. We don't need <laughs> the sides. It's okay. It was good. Well, look, thanks, man. Anything you want to close with there, drunk neighbor? No, other than Salvo just texted me and he said he's also got Jay Herbert at 155 over Trinaldo. So take that as well. Bang. Technology. It works. Except not this anchor technology with our boy Dickie for some goddamn reason. Don't get me started anyway. Uh, thanks, Dickie Salvo, for coming in, Drunk Neighbor. Always fun to have you on with these picks. I look forward for that UFC 152 for, for real. 252, be- boy. All right. Take it easy. That'll be y'all's big episode. All right. We'll talk to you. Thanks for visiting the Sports Antelope, episode number six of The Reset. Get woke, go broke, just ask the University of Missouri. Thanks to Tommy Bench, Dickie Salvo, and the drunk neighbor. Ned Ryerson couldn't make it. He'll be on soon. Hopefully Shane on that can. I love this jam so much. I used to bump this in my 97 Honda Accord. Big time. Mike Jones, baby. Houston's finest. This might be our permanent uh, hangout music here. Be sure and follow us on Twitter. Be follow me on Twitter at Danny underscore Belts. Follow the Sports Antidote on Twitter at the Sports Antidote One. 
and follow us on Instagram at the Sports Antidote. We're doing a good job of posting clips on there. Uh, we love it. Get ready for some more MMA coming up. Uh, be sure and share, review, subscribe. I think I got that right finally. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Sure and check us out next week. And most importantly, tell some people about the show. It's getting better and better. You know people who would like this show. If you kind of lean right, you like to gamble. Or if you kind of lean left. I have a lot of my friends that lean left that still like the show. Because we're not really giving our opinion as much as we are just giving you that raw high five. I'm your host, Danny Belts with a Z. And we'll see you next week. Keep it real, Anadotians.